Corks and Forks podcast is a production of CorksandForksStudios.com. Head over to CorksandForksStudios.com for show notes, our blog, recipes, and wine guides. In today's episode, we're going to be going over five popular varietals, our favorite food pairing with each, and our go-to bottle from each category. Welcome back, everyone. This is week two of Corks and Forks. I am Preston, and with me, as always, is Caitlin. Hello. Uh, In this episode, we're going to be discussing just basic pairings for food and wine. Um, This is certainly not a permanent guide or anything like that, as our our tastes are always evolving. But right now, what we enjoy drinking, what we enjoy pairing, um, and just basic, uh, I guess, wine pairing 101. Yes, these are by no means anything that you have to follow, just our guidelines that we typically go by, our favorite meals, our favorite varietals, and we kind of wanted to give you a list of our top five. Yes, so Caitlin, how has your week been going, by the way? It's been a little over a week since the last episode. It's good. It's actually more difficult than we thought to come up with (laughs) topics to talk about. I mean, our first one was so exciting because we just got back from Napa. And uh, we wanted to share it with all of you guys. But after that, I mean, we just have basic conversations about wine every day. But how to turn it into a podcast is a little more difficult. But we figured what more perfect way than to... Keep trying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one, keep trying, yeah. And talk about our favorite wines that we drink along with our favorite foods. Because not only are we a wine podcast, but we're a food podcast and and a beer podcast and a beer and, and a liquor and yeah well and everything else one desserts. of the yeah, oh my gosh yes we got to have a dessert episode but one of the things that I I really am looking forward to is trying to cultivate more thought from our audience uh, having people either write into the show shooting us a note on the website corksandforkstudios.com and giving us suggestions for episodes uh, we know what we like talking about, um, but our biggest concern is finding out what you like listening to, and that way we can kind of gear the show more towards that. But that being said, we definitely want to get into it and get to the topic at hand. So again, we're going to be going over our the top five varietals that we typically drink. Um, obviously, we are very ver- varietal agnostic. We don't really have certain blends that we drink or certain grapes that we drink exclusively. Um, but these are probably the ones that take up the most space in our wine fridge. So we wanted to kind of get them out there, obviously give you some of the pairings, some of our favorite foods, and some of the foods that they typically go with. For the sake of this podcast, we truly are into red wines for the majority of what we drink. We will definitely enjoy a nice white wine on a hot summer day or if it pairs perfectly with a meal or if we're at a red wine <laughs> yeah if we're at a red wine we'll definitely open up a bottle of white but um the majority that we do drink is red wine so if you see us leaning towards that a little bit that's probably why yeah and we did actually review a white today so we can get into we got a little bit of everything but um and we also did select five 100 percent pure varietals for this review to, to kick us off, we're going to start off with the king of, of the reds, the Cabernet Sauvignon. And I, I know that this is uh, obviously one of the biggest hitters. This is normally, if a winery has like a flagship wine, uh, they typically rely on the Cabernet Depending Sauvignon. Depending on where the winery is. Of course, of course. But it is certainly kind of the, the heavy hitter of the reds um, for the most part. So obviously it's a cross between a Cabernet Franc and the Sauvignon Blanc. 
which is where it gets its name, Cabernet Sauvignon. They kind of blended those two grapes and came up with this monster. Um, it's big, complex, full-bodied, um, pairs with a lot of food. Caitlin, what's your favorite dish for the Cabernet Sauvignon? Oh, um, I think the Cabernet is such a big hitter. Okay, so here's another part of, this is basically another story connecting to our Napa episode. We went to our very first tasting in Napa, and we had a, a very big Cabernet. Uh, it, pay, it was it was a very expensive bottle. The was that familiar air? Yes. Yeah. I didn't really like it that much. It was it was very good. It was but, good. And to be not honest, as so, expensive as it was though. So our whole thing is that you should. I mean, everybody has their own opinions when it comes to wine. You should never judge somebody's opinion or somebody whatever they prefer with that wine you know you can, i mean sometimes we'll drink a white wine with a red meat and you can't stop <gasps> us yeah <laughs> exactly so I, I mean i i casually said oh i would i would never pair this with a, a red meat because i said this is such a a big hitter i was like i feel like it would almost overpower the meat and the person who we tried it with was like you are completely wrong and he just went off on a whole tangent and I do not feel like that's how anybody should treat wine. It's completely subjective. What am I trying to say? Subjective. Subjective. And that's just how I am with Cabernet. I pref- I prefer to have it with maybe a nice herb-crusted pork um, with some roasted jasmine rice, some Tuscan kale with shredded Parmesan on top. Just all the all the herby flavors, I think, go really well with a Cabernet. And I, I mean, I I definitely think it would go great with a red red meat or something along those lines. But I still like something a little more subdued because honestly, sometimes I want the wine to overpower the meal. And you want you want the wine to be the star. Yeah, and in that case, I want a lighter kind of meat than sure. having you know the steak or lamb or whatever it is take over yeah so. i agree with you I, I definitely um cab i can drink with a lot of different things I, I definitely enjoy i think the reason why i like cab with steak so much is because i like more excuses to eat like a nice steak um like a filet or ribeye that's true. we all need that excuse but to be honest like whenever we go to a steak restaurant and we order a nice bottle we don't typically typically get a cab we'll get we don't we'll get that's a syrah true. we'll get a malbec we'll get a Carmenere. Pinot Noir. Yeah, we'll get so many other varietals, but That's we true. don't typically order a cab because I just feel like it is such a heavy hitter that you want something a little bit... I don't want to have to think about my wine when I'm drinking it. And there's so many, so much flavor and, and such complexity with most cabs. I feel like I need to sit there with like a pen and pencil. Yeah, and also if you're going to a really nice steak restaurant and you're paying the amount of money that you are for a nice steak, you want to focus on that steak. You know, you don't typically, you know, we typically, some people might, but we'll either spend the money on a nice bottle of wine and get a little less expensive meal, or we'll get a really nice steak and maybe get, pair it with like a, like I said, a Syrah or a Malbec or something yeah. that we don't have to think as much about, you know, so. That's a good point. And that's not saying that some of like the Syrahs or anything can't be as complex, because I know that they certainly can be. Um, but just in our experiences, typically from what we drink, that's what we find. But um, again... I think with a nice like pork tenderloin, one of my favorite cabs is the Robert Mondavi Reserve. Uh, it's mm, been something that, sure, yeah, sure. I never really gave too much thought to Robert Mondavi before we went out there. But anything that you find in in the actual valley, Napa Valley, yeah, you definitely can't go swing by a Publix or a grocery store or a liquor store and pick this up. At least not on 
the East Coast. But... Yeah, but you might actually be able to find some uh, uh, reserve um, or some of the hi- higher-end Robert Mondavi wines at Total Wine or something Maybe like that. Maybe we just never really looked for it because we tried their cheaper wines and didn't really like them. We are but... like, why the hell would we spend $30 on a crappy bottle? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we didn't really um, think much of it. But after going out there, man, those are some amazing amazing wines and yeah that was probably the biggest winery we saw and oh we as far thought, as size for sure oh yeah was and massive. production and everything not to mention that they own half the other wineries out there like That's opus true. one which is rated the number one winery in the world and that is its current ranking yeah. uh it uh it was right across the street also owned by robert mondavi they own so many places yeah that's true so um that was cab merlot numero dos um for me, Merlot is one of the most complex wines. Not in the fact that it can each glass is ultra complex, but in the in, in the grape itself is almost like a chameleon. I mean, it can really taste like different varietals just based off of the region that it's grown in. Yeah, I think it's one of the main grapes that are used in red blends. At least I know in in French blends. And... Oh my gosh, yeah, you can't find most French blends without Merlot. But I mean, it, it's one of the classic French grapes. But even uh, there's Chilean wines that use a lot of Merlot or at least a, a little bit in a lot of their red blends. It's just such a good wine. It really picks up the terroir really well, picks up the soil. It's really heavily affected by the uh, stone that's underneath the grapes, um, like the bedrock. Um, it is just such a cool grape that it picks up so much character from the region that it's grown in. So um, even though it's heavily affected by the terroir, uh, obviously French Merlot, it's kind of known for its big tobacco it's a little bit uh more complex than i think some of the other grapes whenever you get to the warmer climates the merlot kind of takes on like a brighter or cherry type of of flavor um as far as pairing i mean caitlin do you have a favorite dish that you drink with merlot merlot typically i see going with most Italian dishes, we love eggplant parmesan. We'll cook that once or twi- twice a month just because it's such a great meaty dish without the meat. Um, of course, lasagna, chicken marsala, anything that has kind of a heavy flavor, I think goes really well with Merlot. I think it's such a it has such high tannins typically for me. It, it lasts in your mouth, and I think it's a great mixture once you're eating that saucy meal or something that has a lot of flavor. Yeah, that typical Italian dishes do exactly. And, and to be honest with you, um, really anything that's a, a saucy dish. Whenever you think of a saucy dish, Merlot goes saucy. So, yeah, it's saucy. <laughs> um, but yeah, Merlots go great with it. Any like spaghetti pasta, any savory dishes, like maybe roast chicken with a mushroom glaze or something, mm, gosh, would go. Yeah, would go really well. And actually, I know this is one of your favorite things. It goes well with umami dishes. Umami. Yeah. You want to explain what umami is for the uh, million people oh, gosh, that don't know? I I had no idea what it was, but Caitlin is... Well, I actually learned this from a different podcast called Nom Nom Paleo, and they basically call it a... What is it? A sixth sense? Fifth taste. Oh, fifth taste. <laughs> <laughs> I see new tastes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it's, it's sort of... What is it? A, a salty... Well, it's more savory. Like, is, it's like a savory flavor. Yeah, so whenever you think of Ugh, the four... I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Whenever you think of the four senses or the four tastes that your tongue can taste, you think of salty, sweet, sour, and bitter. 
the fifth one that your tongue can pick up. It's kind of like a newer, well, I don't think it's a newer flavor, but it's newly described flavor is savory and that where umami is. Um, so it's actually the fifth taste that your tongue can taste and it's like a legit thing if you Google it. I think that's kind of cool too because like a lot of times when I'm like, oh, I'm so, I'm craving something and it's not sweet. I'm, I, the only other thing I ever say is I'm craving something savory. You know, I don't say I'm craving something bitter or something sour. I don't think anyone has ever said I'm craving something well, bitter. Well, no, but so I like, just give me a nice like, ginger root to gnaw on I for, know. <laughs> for a little but bit. But I feel like it's such a good descriptive word. Like, it's hard to describe, but at the same time, I know exactly what it's, it feels like. You yeah. Know? Well, and I think that's why they had to kind of classify it as its own thing. But why'd they call it that? Umami, yeah. it was a Japanese word, because um, I, I know that a lot of the seaweed and stuff like that used in sushi was kind of pulled that type of flavor out of the fish, and I I think, you know well, what, I probably... I, I think we should probably research We this should probably this. research this. <laughs> Nobody before. take our word for this, please. Yeah, okay. Google umami, and then write me an email and tell me and tell what tell us it how is. wrong we are. <laughs> so, uh, the next whoa, one... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have one more thing to say. Okay, go back. I know President doesn't want me to say this during the podcast, Okay, but... here we go. As far as Merlot goes, it's gotten a bad rap in the past 10 years or so since Sideways came out. Merlot was honestly one of the first wines I drank before I knew anything about wines. I really enjoyed it. And then when me and Preston started dating, he never drank Merlot, so we kind of stopped. And it really sparked my interest when we went to Napa. All the wineries had such an amazing Merlot. It really opened my eyes to how good it actually can be. I don't know if I was just buying crappy Merlots before or what it was, but... Well, if you weren't drinking wines a lot, then you probably were buying crappy Merlots because well, you're, sure. like, you're like, $7 bottle? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm sure that was probably part of it. But, I mean, Merlots pay, play a big part in red blends and on All their own... All over the world, too. Yeah, on their own, they can be really amazing. So, for some people who haven't had them in a while, I would highly recommend doing a little research. I mean, obviously... Oh, we didn't talk about our favorite Merlot. That's true. But before we get into it, because this is go goes on your point, I think that if you have a favorite region, if you really find that you like New Zealand wine or you really find that you like Chilean wine, try a pure Merlot from either one of your favorite wineries or just in your favorite region, and it will probably surprise you. I mean, it pulls out so much true. character from mm -hmm. the, the area and region that it's grown in that if you're on the fence about trying a Merlot, and you love, you know, Chilean wines, pick up a Chilean Merlot, and it will probably knock your socks off. I agree. But I'm going to talk about my favorite Merlot, which I hate to keep bringing up Napa wines, but it's fresh on the brain. Okay. Um, from Castello di Amorosa. They had probably the best wine, best Merlot I've ever had in my life. And, of course, it was pricey because everything in Napa is, and you can only buy it from the winery there. But if you need to have your mind changed on a Merlot, call them up and order this one. It is amazing. How much is it? 80 bucks a bottle? No, no, no. It was probably... 40? 40, yeah. Around 40. Still expensive. <laughs> it is still expensive, but I promise you will not be disappointed. I know. No, it, it was probably... It was a of, great wine. We tried 11 wines there, and that was one of my favorite, and I was so surprised. Yeah, and to be honest with you, and I know we mentioned this in the last podcast, so we'll get off the subject, but... And we'll have all the all the links to their websites on our website, so you can give them a call, place orders, and do what you need to. Eventually. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm working on it. Um, but honestly, I mean, if you're in Napa, that, that is one of the premier stops. I mean, it's super popular. It is, it wasn't super touristy or anything like that, but any more than any of the other wineries there. Uh, but look it up, make it 
a for sure stop because it is awesome. Plus, if you live in California and you haven't been to Napa Valley, uh, what are you doing? You're paying <laughs> you're you're paying high rent and crazy mortgage prices for no reason. Drive up there; it's amazing. Well, Cabernet, the next one. yeah, Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. So this is our this is our only white wine. This is our podcast. token our token white guy. <laughs> yep. So Sauvignon Blanc, obviously, uh, there's tons of different kinds. So it really depends on the region, the terroir, the climate, and everything like that. But here is a few that you can kind of classify. Um, if if you taste the Sauvignon Blanc, you're not sure where it is. I don't know if you're either blindfolded or something. Here's a good way to kind of pick up on the three main types of ca- or of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, one is any citrus or grapefruit notes. I get a little bit of that sharp crispness. It's typically going to uh, be South American or similar type climate. Typically goes great with seafoods or any green sauces. If you have any pesto Ooh. or basil based dishes, one of our favorites. Oh God! Well, pesto. Anything or- pesto, we're in love with basil. Ugh, it's just so fresh and delicious. And yeah, I mean, we make it all the time. Yeah, honestly, I mean. We'll make, we'll make basil hummus. We'll throw basil in just about anything that we yeah. possibly can. Yeah, basil's ridiculous. Plus, mm-hmm. we do have a little farm. Well, not a farm. We have a garden. Oh, we have a garden. Mini garden. Mini I garden. wouldn't call it a farm. <laughs> well, it's a farm if you're small enough. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, uh, yeah we, we just planted a ton of basil and stuff like that. So we're excited to get that going. Because we are recently moved into a new house. Yeah. Recently as of last year. But we've been busy with a lot of stuff. <laughs> so like getting married and stuff. Like, yeah, getting married and stuff. So, uh, Sauvignon Blanc numero dos is grassy or herb notes. Um, a little bit more mellow, I think, on the tongue. These are typically Western Australia. Any, I mean, you always try to want to match your wine. So any uh, like grassy or herb note in your Sauvignon Blanc should go great with any salads, grilled veggies, uh, maybe some of the kale dishes that you mentioned earlier. That's a good would, idea. Would be mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, and final is oaky. Um, these are typically aged in oak barrels. Think big um, California whites. Um, I mean, anything using American oak to age in is going to give pick up that really oaky, smoky flavor. Yeah. Uh, smoked smoked fish, any chicken or veal, um, or any buttery dishes. So I mean, if you have anything like a creamy yeah, soup funny. or something like that, that's um, one of my favorite pairings for a white wine. I will, like I said before, I can. I can pair some chicken dishes with red wine. You know, we go all over the map with certain things, but if I ever have like a lemon pepper chicken with a buttercream sauce, I can, I have to have a nice Sauvignon Blanc. And then I usually eat it with like asparagus and like a garlic mashed potato. And it just, it is probably one of the best, best smorgasbord of flavors that you'll (laughs) ever have in your mouth because... Ugh, everything there pairs so perfectly together. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I mean, if, if you like uh, an oaky Sauvignon Blanc, try a Chardonnay um, or vice versa. If you typically drink Chardonnay and you haven't really drank too much Sauvignon Blanc, um, they can typically be swapped out for each other just because they're a little bit more open on the mouth. Um, as far as wine number four, we're going to talk whoa, about... Whoa, whoa, You're skipping our favorite wine of the category, man. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Slow your roll. I'm slowing my roll. <laughs> my roll is too fast. Yes. He like he likes to get onto the, uh, the red wine skin. <laughs> um, but I, just, I do want to mention that our favorite Sauvignon Blanc that we t- typically drink, you know, on an average basis, just like our other red wines, is Kim Crawford. 
It's typically everybody's go-to white wine in our family. Yeah, I mean, whenever someone comes up and visits or if we're traveling anywhere, um, there's always a couple bottles. And it's basically like currency in my family. Um, bottles of Kim Crawford can be yeah. traded for favors or if you need someone to watch your dogs or anything, uh, Kim Crawford is is pretty much... And it's my... very reasonably priced. It's probably one of the best priced wines on our list today. I mean, at... What, 12 bucks a bottle? Yeah, if that. I mean, you can typically find it for under 10 maybe at like a BJ's or a Costco or something. Yeah, and you can pair it with basically a gourmet meal. It's pretty pretty amazing the things that can come out of a Kim Crawford bottle. I agree. Um, now we can move on. Okay, one. thank you. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move on to Carmenier. Uh, this is a, a really funky grape. Um, it's it really, really popular in South America, specifically like Chile, Argentina, it's made kind of a resurgence. Uh, I think it was over the last like maybe 20 years or so, actually probably 30 years. Uh, it kind of won out of favor and then made like a huge resurgence. I think the grape was actually like lost for a short time. They didn't oh, yeah. really have it planted. Remember? We heard we that from somebody. What was it? I think it was from a bottle. <laughs> I think I read it either from a bottle or online. But it's. I thought somebody told us that, that basically like all the, all grapes, the grapes died out for yeah. a couple of years and then. Came back. Well, by a couple of years, it was like 50 years. Like, they didn't produce any Carmenere for like 50 years. Huh. And then, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, they started replanting yeah. it, and the thing just kicked ass. Yep. Um, it's a really great grape. Um, notes of dark, ripe red fruit, spice, black pepper. Um, it's really, really great for uh, spicy foods or powerful seasonings. If you have any, like, thyme or rosemary or oregano that's just, like, slapping you in the face... Grab some Carmenere and it will balance the crap out of it. Now, this is kind of where, coming back to the whole Cabernet discussion, this is kind of where we differ. I feel oh, like snap. Those could be like the typ typical tasting notes of a Carmenere, but I find them super spicy. I find them very full bodied, very um, just complex. And yeah. I actually like to pair this with my steak just because of the spiciness of the wine yeah i feel like it gives the steak a whole different flavor and it brings out different characteristics that you wouldn't have with a different wine well would you pair this with a high-end steak i i mean i'd pair it with my favorite steak which is a filet mignon oh, maybe with some sauteed mushrooms on top and some roasted fingerling potatoes and a nice spring salad I mean, this honestly reminds me of our experience at Burns. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Burns. It's one of the top-rated steakhouses in the country in um, Tampa. And we had a wonderful French onion soup. I'm pretty sure we paired this with a bottle. It was a Montez Alpha. I remember because yep. I remember buying it. And Montez Alpha, by the way, we're, I know we're about to get into it. Anything from the Montez winery is yeah. pretty damn good. Um, especially, I don't know if it's just our tastes in general, but... This is probably currency number two. If the, the Kim Crawford is a $5 bill, this is the $20 bill. Well, honestly, it, the currency is the Purple Angel, which is, which is also from the Montez family. Yeah. Which is... That's like a $100 bill. That's a yeah. C note. Yeah. It, a, realistically, it's not $100. It's closer to 50 bucks, 50 60 No, it's usually about 80 Depends on where you get it. That's true. Okay. But... There's a Montez Alpha, which is a step below the Purple Angel, and that's kind of why we got the Montez Alpha when we went to Burns, is because we, we wanted the steak to be the center of attention, but it just paired so perfectly with it that I feel like, after that, I just feel like Carmeniers are the best to have with 
a nice steak because it's spicy, it's flavorful, but it's not overpowering it may, like a cab can be. It might go really nicely with like the uh, like a ground coffee or a heavy pepper crusted steak, maybe. Oh yeah, we make some awesome coffee crusted steaks. Oof, yeah. okay. it, that's good. So um, that's Carmenere. Anything to add before I move on? No, I mean I think we talked that. The Purple Angel is definitely our favorite. Not, not an everyday drinker. It's like, not. No. And to be honest with you, the Montez Alpha is about twenty bucks a bottle. Still a little expensive for everyday drinker, but they do have a basic Montez. Um, they They're also, all good. Yeah, yeah, they are all good. Plus, they have a, a Montez Twins. It's a blend that came out, red blend. One. I think it's fifty percent Carmenere, fifty percent Merlot, Possibly. or Malbec. It's one of the M's. We got to look that up too. Yep, don't quote us on that one either. Yeah, don't yell at me. So, uh, okay, so those are uh, for Carmen here. And last but not least. Pinot Noir. (laughs) So, Pinot is definitely, I think, one of the most diverse red wines that you can have with numerous dishes. I mean, we eat it with pasta, chicken, steak, pork, fish. Anything you can name, we basically, I mean, we eat it with, we drink it with sweets. Yeah. Anything, I just can't think of anything that it wouldn't pair with. That's true. I mean, Pinot does go well with a lot of different things. Um, Big big acidity, fruit flavors, it pairs with um, pretty much anything. I mean, I would say that it excels with garlic or herb dishes. Um, Anything that's kind of fatty, since it is kind of a high acidity type of wine, anything that's fatty that kind of coats your mouth, this acidity will kind of just strip it and every single bite of like your ribeye will be as good as the first, if not better. I mean, really, whenever you're looking to pair a wine with a dish, you want the wine to elevate the dish and the dish to elevate the wine. And I think that there's very few things that can't bring Pinot up just a little bit uh, and can't get lifted up by Pinot. I mean, like I said, ribeye, maybe some duck breast, something that's like a fa- Ooh, has yeah. a fatty on, on it. We don't cook duck typically, but if you go to a restaurant and have duck with Pinot, it's the bomb. It's the bomb. Yeah, it's very very good. Um, little history on Pinot Noir. It actually means pine black in French. Um, pine because the tightly clustered grapes look like pine cones whenever they're growing, uh, and black because the grapes are dark as hell. <laughs> that was a good way of describing it. Oh, thank you. So, um, so yeah. It, it, as far as favorite Pinots, um, what's your favorite? Game? For sure, it's La Crema. Yeah, La Crema is super good. It's There's yummy. actually several uh, several different vineyards that vineyards, they grow. Yeah, yeah, when we went to Napa, we learned because we typically buy a Sonoma Coast um, Pinot over here. We can get it just about anywhere. Twenty bucks a bottle. Yeah, about twenty bucks a bottle. But we actually went to the pin or the La Crema tasting room, and we had about five or six different Pinots from all over. We had Oregon, we had Napa Valley, we had Sonoma Coast, Anderson Valley, Anderson Valley, and then we had a Pinot Noir Rosé, which was super good, which I was surprised about. That was good. And it's just so crazy the different tastes that come from where you know, and they were they're so it's not like they're, they're about they're, across they're, this different sides of the world. Like yeah, they, they were about an hour. Four of the wines were within an hour drive, yeah. and they tasted completely different. And they had completely different price tags. Our our Sonoma Coast twenty bucks a bottle. Their Anderson Valley like forty bucks a bottle. Mm-hmm. I mean that it's double Napa the price. Valley was what close fifty dollars a bottle. Yeah, forty something dollars a bottle. Like 
And we asked her, we said, oh, man, these are so good. Can we get these anywhere? And, of course, no, you have to get them You can go on locally. their website. Yeah, but for the most part, you have to get them locally. They don't ship to distributors or anything like that. So, yeah. I mean, we're super lucky to get what we have here because it's the Sonoma Coast is still amazing. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, I do like La Crema, but I also like E-Roth. Oh, yes. It's an Oregon Pinot. It's if you can find it out at a restaurant, they normally don't mark it up too much. Obviously, it depends on the restaurant. But we got really lucky. There no, was a that happy was hour. Just one time we got lucky. Yeah, there was a happy hour that we went to at a place called Carmel, which is like a wine and tapas bar. And um, we got there was bottles of Irath, I think, for seventeen ninety nine on the menu, and they sell in the store for like fifteen ninety nine. Um, it was crazy. There was some glitch. Oh, and or it was buy one get one free, or buy one get one. Half off or something. Yeah. We, we got we, super lucky. Yeah. And we loaded we drank, up that day. We drank a couple bottles. And by the way, these weren't like bottles you can take home. They were bottles that like you drank there. <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't advertise that. Okay. But um, my favorite Pinot, I think Pinots are really great with rich, uh, it's hard to describe, rich almost. Umami. Kind of. Rich <laughs> meaty foods that aren't super meaty. Like I love it with tomato sauce. Rich meaty foods that aren't super meaty. Like mushrooms, how they have a kind of like a meaty sort yeah. of... Yeah. Mushrooms, I think, are awesome. So you're talking you know. about meaty foods that aren't meat. That's what I said. You said meaty foods that aren't meaty. Well, it's the same thing. It's kind of the same thing. Okay. <laughs> so mushrooms, I think, it would, I think it would pair perfectly with like a bruschetta with fresh tomato, mozzarella, and wild mushrooms, or like a caramelized onion flatbread with lemon ricotta. Can I add something to your bruschetta that you just got me got in my head? What? A nice balsamic reduction. Well, obviously. Oh. No bruschetta is complete without that. Well, I, some I people guess... put you can put balsamic on it in just general, but if you like reduce it so it's almost like a syrup. Oh, it's like thick absolutely. and thick and sticky. But yeah, anything rich in flavor, I think is great. Like we said, well, you can go we'll pair it with it just about anything, but I'll eat for... a shoe with a pinot. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Just for the high complexity of a lot of the ones we drink, I think those are my typical go to foods with it. I agree. What you think? I think that sounds good. And I think that about wraps up uh the discussion that we wanted to have covered some of our favorite wines and food pairings with those wines. We definitely want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the varietals, get into some crazy blends. I want to talk mm. about some beers because it is hockey playoffs, and oh, I'm gosh. going to be drinking some beers. So uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank Ronald Jenkins for providing our fantastic intro and outro music. Head over to corksandforksstudios.com as we're continuing to update the website. If anything's be patient with us. I know. If anything's broken or not working, please <laughs> shoot us an email. Um, we're, we're working on getting all the show notes up there, some of our favorite recipes. And we do have some wines that we reviewed on there. We're going to continue reviewing those and maybe coming up with like a scoring system like out of 10 or out of 100 or something like that. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Maybe just thumbs up or thumbs down if it's worth drinking or not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely follow us on Instagram as well, at Corks and Forks Studios. We post pictures of wines we're drinking, meals we're having, and just a general look into our life and everyday things <laughs> everyday uh comeuppance yep <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks again everyone and see you next week